0: Well, maybe I don't. It might be a good thing, right? But uh, as you look up up here on the monitors and whatnot, if you don't have your your Bibles or you, you don't have a tablet or something with you, you can follow along with us up here on the monitors. But if you look at the monitors, you'll you'll see that we have titled this journey through. Uh, these first couple of chapters in Luke as Christmas begins. And there wasn't a whole lot of thought given to that. It was just the reality of that's the picture that the Scripture paints, right? It's the beginning of Christmas. But the fear, the fear component is the fact that we're in chapter 1, and this is the third week, right? And there's a reference to chapter 2. And I know you're paralyzed with fear thinking, is Trent going to keep us all the way through the rest of 1 and into 2? Well, no, he's not. But when we get to the end of uh, the message today, you'll understand what your role is in the beginning of Christmas, okay? All right? Now, listen, we're in the book of Luke, chapter 1. Luke is writing this uh, letter, as you guys know, to a Roman uh, uh, authoritative figure, uh, uh, that being Theophilus, friend of God or lover of God is what his name means. And so as we journey through this, uh, first chapter, we had touched on the life and, uh, of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that being the parents of the individual that we would know later to be John the Baptizer, right? And the scripture refers to Zechariah and Elizabeth as being very old. Now, I didn't say that and we alluded to that. Most theologians think that they were around 60-ish. So that's not very old, right? We all agree with that. And all of my uh, more mature brothers and sisters said, no, 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 that's not old at all, right? And so, uh, but they were without child. And while Zechariah was serving as high priest because he was a descendant of Aaron and as well as his wife, it was his turn to serve as high priest. The lots had been drawn and he had been given this privilege. He enters into the temple And there, right before the altar of incense, Gabriel appears to him, divulges to him this message that God had given Gabriel to give to Zechariah. And that would be this, that his prayers had been answered and that his wife Elizabeth, who was barren, would conceive and give birth to a son and he is to call him John. Meaning, the Lord is gracious or God is gracious is what that means. Now, Zechariah kind of pushed back on the message. He, he kind of, well, the scripture says that he didn't believe initially in his heart. And so, as a, uh, not necessarily a punishment, but as a discipline, he was muted for the remainder of the time until John is born, and then we'll touch on that today. During this time, Gabriel, who was last seen in the temple, shows up in a small town called Nazareth in Galilee to a young virgin who was uh, 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 engaged to Joseph whose name was Mary, right? that We covered that. And so one of the things we touched on, and I want you to understand this, is that Gabriel showed up at the temple and then Gabriel showed up in the small town. And what I wanted you guys to understand is that God isn't just active in the house of God, but he's also active in your home, in the small towns, in the small villages, in the places that we actually do life. You know what I'm talking about? Where the rubber meets the road. God reaches into those places and God's plan is exercised there as much as it's exercised in places like this. We understand that, right? Upon receiving this word, Mary goes to her relative, that being Elizabeth, right? Because the angel Gabriel tells her what's about to go down. Christmas is coming. I'll just paraphrase it, all right? And uh, so she goes to Elizabeth. The, the, the information that is exchanged between the two of them was uh, uh, beneficial to both parties. There was encouragement giving. There was uh, uh, things acknowledged. It was a beautiful moment when you read the Scripture. And the, and the Scripture says that Mary stayed with her for three more months. Uh, at this time, Elizabeth had been uh, uh, pregnant for six months, so she stays with her for three more months. And then the Scripture alludes to the fact that Mary returns to Nazareth. Now, some theologians, it really doesn't matter to me, you can, ha- you can hash this out yourself. Some believe that she stayed the nine months till Elizabeth was married, and some believe that she leaves right uh, or, uh, before Elizabeth gives birth, and some believe she leaves, uh, leaves right before Elizabeth gives birth to John. Regardless, the time comes for her to give birth to John. Whether Mary is there or Mary isn't there isn't the issue. The issue is where we find ourselves today, and it's in Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through 80. Boy, that's, that's terrifying, isn't it? 57 through 80. We're going to combine the Christmas service and the New Year's service together because that's be about the time we get out, right? That's what you're thinking. But we're going to read a large portion of this. But what I'm going to do, for your benefit, so I'm not having to reread the scripture multiple times, I'm going to pray over the scripture. Is that okay, Peggy? We're just going to pray over the scripture, right? Yeah, it's okay. We better pray over the scripture. We're going to pray over the scripture, and then we're just going to kind of navigate through it, Brittany. You know what I'm talking about? We're just going to, work, we're going to travel through this scripture. And we're going to pick up what we can pick up, And we're going to process what we can process, and we're going to apply what we can apply. Because there's a lot of things happening in this scripture, even though ultimately it's all pointing in the direction of Christmas, and that being the arrival of Jesus, there's a lot of things happening in this scripture that might benefit you and might benefit me if we can hold on to those things. Amen? So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name to the benefit of my brothers and sisters who have gathered here on uh, December the 23rd at 6 o'clock at 100 Hobson Way in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, for their benefit, God. I pray that you would speak uh, uh, through me, that you would uh, uh, arrest my stammering and stuttering tongue, that I might be able to articulate your truth in a manner that is uh, 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 palatable, that's consumable to our hearts, minds, and spirits, that we would leave here with a better understanding of your heart for us and your desire for us and who you are. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said, Amen. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 1. Verse 57. Now we'll, we'll, we'll navigate through this a little bit and then we'll read a large portion of this. It says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. When the scripture says at the very beginning of that, when it was time, I want you to understand it's not just referencing the the pregnancy coming to full term and the nine months. There's a much bigger picture of of time being alluded to here because what happens and what uh, comes to fruition right here has been in the works for over 700 years. As a matter of fact, if you go into Isaiah, which was written 700 years prior to Jesus being born, the prophet Isaiah said, There will come a voice of one calling in the desert, is what he said. And then in Malachi chapter 4, Malachi, which was written 430 years before Jesus, Malachi says that voice, there would be an Elijah that would come basically decrying the same thing that the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah had prophesied he would be declaring. Now this Elijah that Malachi references, Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 identifies and says John was that Elijah. Okay? So, man, this has been some stuff that's been in the works. This wasn't something, Kelly, that God had just thrown together, man, at the last minute kind of thing, you know, shooting from the hip. This was something that had been meticulously handled 430 years since the last prophet made reference to this declaration. Now, listen to this. Listen to this. And the Scripture says... When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Now, this might be possibly the least shocking gender reveal in the history of mankind to date. Why is that? Because the angel had told Zachariah, Zach. said, Don't be afraid, Zach. Said, don't be afraid. Said, God has heard your prayers, man. Not only that, your wife Elizabeth is going to get pregnant, Zach and she's going to give birth to a son. Now, however many other people were aware of this declaration and this gender reveal 9 months earlier, I don't know, but the two people that I'm certain of who knew about this was Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so when the baby came out being a boy, everyone else may have celebrated, it's a boy. It's a boy. And they're like, "Yeah, we know. We have known." Right? So the least shocking gender reveal in the history to date at this moment. And then the scripture reads like this. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. This was the custom, Jewish custom, on the eighth day. And they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah, little Zach, right? But his mother, now check this out, women of God. But his mother spoke up and said, no, exclamation mark, a fanatical declaration of absolute resistance to to the traditional standards of naming the child after the father. She says, no, he is to be called God or John, meaning God is gracious. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has this name. Now let me say something about this portion of Scripture, and we'll move move on. And I say this to encourage every woman of God that's out there who's following Jesus. When the voice of the man of God has been censored, has been removed, has been stopped, when the voice of the man of God is not being utilized, then it is incumbent upon the woman of God to speak up. It is for your children. It is for your families. If you have a husband, a father who wants to take a back seat to the spiritual needs and importance of, of uh, and the application into your family, if they just want to remove themselves from that responsibility, woman of God, stand up for what God has said, and you speak on behalf of the purpose of God in the lives of your family, as well as the lives of your loved ones, Your neighbors. Your co-workers. Don't allow culture to silence your tongue, woman of God. And here she was, her husband, Zechariah, the high priest, or was the priest, who had been silenced out of discipline by God. When he could not speak, she speaks. Her resolve was not built upon some agreement with Zechariah about the name. Her resolve was built on the revelation that Zechariah gives her that this is what God has said. So at this moment, what God has said trumps traditions, cultures, and even Zechariah's tendencies to want to name his own son after himself. Right? Listen, I remember when our son Clark was, was still in his mother's womb, right? And I remember it, it was getting pretty close to, to uh, the due date. And I remember uh, being big Superman fans, and you guys know this. I'm not, I'm not uh, outing myself. You guys know I'm a big Superman fan. I remember we were watching, uh, at the time, a TV show called Smallville. Anybody remember a TV show called Smallville? Smallville, Okay. Okay, there's seven of us that have good taste. Okay, we are watching this show called Smallville, and I jokingly said, let's name him Clark. It was a joke. And I remember as we, we edged on into the last week or so prior to her giving birth, I said to them, I remember us sitting in the living room, Dwayne, and I said to them, I said, man, we got we to gotta resolve this name thing. We got to come to a conclusion. What are we going to name this kid? What, what are we going to name him? They said, Well, Carrie said, Well, we've already chosen. Taylor's like, Taylor, Taylor, Dad, we've already picked a name. And I said, What? And they said, Clark. I said, I was kidding. I was kidding. And they were adamant. They were going to hold to this name. And I said, Okay, let's name them. We'll, we'll give them three names then. We're going to call them Andrew Clark Reed. And in my intellect, and in my understanding, I said, I will leverage those two names against the one name that I don't necessarily like as much. And so when he was born, they would call him Clark, and I would say Reed, as in Reed Shepard to my Kentucky fan brothers. I beat Jeff Shepard to that. And I would call him Reed Evans. And then some outside forces invaded our home, that being Angie and others, who started calling him Clark Bar and Clark this. And, and, was, and then I was pushing up against multiple people. And, and so we had me squalling out with a desire to pull him into my own heart and, and call him Reed. And then I had all these women around me calling him Clark. And so after a, a, a matter of time, I just made concessions because he wouldn't even look at me if I called him Reed. My kid would have been three, four, five years old walking down the hall or the the, the, the aisles at Walmart and if I yelled out Reed, he would just keep on going. But if I said, Clark, he'd turn around, ear in tune to that name. That wasn't the case here. The name had been given by God. The information had been somehow shared with Elizabeth and she was adamant that if he can't name him God, I know it's the purpose of God. I will name Him God. And guess what happens? She gets kicked back. She gets kicked back. What is the kickback? They say to her, implying she's wrong by naming Him that, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Unbeknownst to them, in keeping with tradition, they were actually pushing back against God. Take that home with you. Then this is what the scripture says. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. Now this ain't an iPad. It's not an Android tablet. It's just a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And they were astonished by this. You know what they were actually saying? When they said, there's no one by that name in your family, you know what they were basically saying? There's no one in your family who God has been gracious to. Look at how old you are in having children. God withheld this from you. And you know what Zechariah and Elizabeth saying in the faithfulness of God? Better late than never. <laughs> God's graciousness is better late than never. And he shall be called John, right? Now watch what happens here. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak praising God. Now this is a man who hadn't spoken in nine months. In nine months he hadn't spoken. Now was obedience the key to the restoration of Zachariah's voice? I would say to you absolutely the key. If he doesn't call him John he remains mute. You know how I know that? That's what the scripture says. You say, where does it say that? It says this in Luke chapter 1 verse 20, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Part of the until the day this happens is found in 13b, verse 13b. It says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and this was part of the directive and the command of Gabriel and you, you, Zechariah, are to call him John. And until all that was fulfilled, until the righty tablet was given to Zechariah, and he said that he shall be called, God is gracious, he shall be called John. Upon making that declaration in a written form, the scripture says that his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Now here's the crazy thing. The man had been silenced by God, for nine months, and the moment his tongue is loosed and he's able to speak, instead of cursing God who had silenced him, he begins to praise God. Wow! It speaks to his heart, does it not? Understanding the value of the discipline or the teaching of God. And he begins to speak and praise God is what the scripture says. And all the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea people were talking about all these things. You know who these people were? These were the same people. Remember what Elizabeth said? God, you have removed my shame amongst the people. Man, these cats turned quick, didn't they? Man, when they seen the work of God, man, flesh out in their lives, man, their tune changed quick. They went from shaming them To be in awe and in wonder. Wonder of what? They said, what then is this child going to be? And then the determining factor, they declared, because Zachariah is such a good dad. No, that's not the reason. Because Elizabeth is such a good mom. No, that's not the reason. Though those things are pertinent, important. What do they say, the determining factor? On the unlimited potential of this child. It was the fact that God's hand was upon them, him, John. And they recognized this. And I say to you, the world can't limit the success of your children. The world can't limit the success and the reach of your family. The world can't limit the success and reach of yourself when the hand of God is upon you. Incredible things can happen in the darkest of places. Trans Christmas. Read, man, read. And the scripture says this, because we get an insight on what Zechariah was saying when his tongue was loosed. It says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, started to speak on behalf of the Spirit's unction. Whenever we read prior to the Spirit of God being released by Christ, at the Ascension and poured out at Pentecost, whenever the scripture references being filled with the Spirit, it actually is an anointing of the Spirit to make declarations. That's typically the case. You'll see it in Old Testament days. And we're still living in that. Nothing has changed at this point. But it's starting to change. And prophesied, and this is what this, is what this cat said, he talked in nine months. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. You know who he's referencing? How about some Isaiah? How about some Malachi? He's referencing in regards to his own son. That's tight. He said, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then all of a sudden, he shifts in this prophetic declaration. Listen to this. And you, my child... Zechariah acknowledges God's graciousness. John is his son. And he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High God, or the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now, Zechariah acknowledged John was his son, but he also acknowledges that John's identity wouldn't be found in him. To be found in his purpose that God had called him to. Right? That's what he says. So let's read, we'll, we'll, we'll go through this. He says, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. He's basically saying, John, your life is going to be the voice of preparation for the coming of the Christ. Now listen, the cat ends up in the desert, right? He ends up wearing clothes made with camel's hair. Right? That joker could have won any ugly sweater Christmas contest. Right? Harold came up to me. Where's Harold I'm calling you out, Harold. Harold came up to me in the office back here earlier. He said, is that your rendition of an ugly Christmas sweater? I said, I don't know. You need to ask my wife who bought it. <laughs> and she ain't up here, but I'm telling her after the service. That's right. Merry Christmas. Listen, listen, the cat was out there dressed in camel hair, eating locust and wild honey. Remember what the people said? No telling what God's got for him. Well, you know what God's got for you it may not look like you think it's going to look. Because it's not in the look. It's in the purpose. It wasn't in the camel's hair, man. The ugly sweater. The locust or the wild honey? It was in his purpose. So sometimes you're going to complete and honor God's purpose and it's going to look a little different than what I'm doing. And you've got to be okay with it. But being okay with that is going to have to require you also to be okay with me looking different. You see. All right, let's let's read so we we can close up. And he says, he says, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And this is the essence of that preparation. I want, you, I want you to hear this. Please hear this. He says, this is what you're going to do in this declaration, in this preparation. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. He was saying, John, your message is going to be one of Forgiveness. You ever needed to be forgiven? He said the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. How many of you know what uh, hyperthymesia is? Anybody know what hyperthymesia is? Anybody? You know what amnesia is? Amnesia is when you forget things. Hyperthymesia is when you don't forget anything. Nothing. Someone who has hyperthymesia can recall something that took place in their life 35 years ago as though it took place yesterday they can they can recite it detail after detail after detail with alarming accuracy literally they can almost relive it if they have hyperthymesia but you know what you know what they struggle with people who have hyperthymesia that you and I struggle with though they can remember everything which includes all the good things they have a tendency just like you and I to only remember the bad things you there anybody ever done that you have Forty-five good things happen to you. And then that one bad thing, that one failure, that one moral failure, that one cataclysmic choice. And man, you carry with you the shame and the guilt. And though you've done all you can to honor God out of that 20 years... Fifteen years, whatever it might be, ten years removed from a mistake or a failure, you've done. You can't escape that in every facet of your life. You do not express this hyperthymesia, but in regards to these moments of failure and of moral compromise or whatever it may be, you exercise a level of hyperthymesia that would have you diagnosed clinically. Because the failure is so deep in you that you just can't escape it. And you carry the guilt and you carry the shame. I could have done. I should have done. My nephew who was shot and killed, robbing a bank, you guys know the story. Y'all know the story. Man, I poured my life into him. I gave him everything I had to give to him. Man, we were six months apart. I, I remember when he was in prison, man, I visited him as often as I could possibly visit him. I was going into these high uh, maximum security prisons and he would walk out to these visitation tables, six foot three, 220 pounds, solid muscle, skinhead, head shaved and there we would sit at these tables and all I could see was the little boy I grew up with and I would share the gospel with him. And I would extend myself into his life. And he would be fighting back tears because he knew if he showed a weakness, it would make him vulnerable in such a place. And I could see every fiber of him resisting, letting go. And I remember when he got out of prison, I remember picking him up. I remember Taylor being a little bitty girl. Taylor probably wasn't three or four years old. We took him out to Wendy's. That was about all I could afford. Eight. and we sit there and I shared with him and I communi- communicated with him and then the day came when I was at work and the phone call came he said Trent, you need to call home there's been something terrible that's happened so I call home and they said uh, Brad's been killed I said what? they said he got shot yeah I got shot Scrapping, physically imposing. He looked invincible. How did he get shot? He said he had entered a bank. Jumped over the teller's desk. Grabbed a handful of money. Jumping back over the teller's desk, the president of the bank met him and shot him twice in the chest. And the video was released to us as a family. So we could see it And I thought to myself, oh my goodness. After preaching his funeral in him, I remember Peggy. I remember Amanda in the shire, just weeping over him. You know what I kept thinking? I've carried this for years and the enemy tries to bring it up. Trent, you could have done more. And as much as I try to forgive myself and move away from that, the hyperthymesia that I really don't have, it starts to work on me. And sometimes in dark hours of the night, man, I remember this stuff. And there's times when I'm praying for you, and the enemy brings it to me, Ting, and says, How can you pray for them when you failed him? So, what the scripture says to give his people the knowledge of salvation to rescue you through the forgiveness of their sins. There's this property of forgiveness that is absolutely needed by you and it's needed by me. And this is part of the declaration. Do you know? Do you know how? How the forgiveness comes? Do you know? (laughs) Do you know how it comes? Listen. Because of the tender mercy of God. That's what it says, the next verse. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy. So I'm overwhelmed with this guilt and this shame. And I can't escape it, Colin. And then the tender mercies of God as the enemy accuses me. The tender mercies of God poured out on me, Jay. And I'm telling you, I'm drinking it up like a sponge. I need every drop of the tender mercy of God. Because you know what I need on the other side of those difficulties? I need a new day. I need a fresh start. You know what the scripture says right here? It says, Because of the tender mercy of God, by which the rising sun, do you get this? The new day will come to us from heaven. <laughs> and what will it accomplish? Let me read this. I'll tell you what it'll accomplish. It'll shine on those living in darkness, That's what the scripture says. And then there's an and which is inclusive. And it says, in the shadow of death. So what it's actually saying is this, to shine on those living in darkness and to shine on those living in the shadow of death. What about you this this evening, I'd say? You're living in darkness. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, man, you can light your house up with Christmas lights, you know. And We're the Griswolds, man. If you've ever been out to my house, man, you know Clark Evans Griswold lives there. Right? I mean, we light it up. But you know what that won't do? It won't get you out of the darkness. Not that darkness. And you know what else it won't do? It won't get you out of living in that shadow of death. But John says, my message, or Zachariah says, John's message will do both those things. And it's not just getting you out of dark and deadly places. But you know what else it does? It'll guide you. The scripture says, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our, it's inclusive. Listen, Zacharias prophesied, he's talking about himself too. To guide our feet into the path of peace. Then verse 80, we're here, right here. We got here. We got here. It's still December the 23rd. We're here in verse 80. Who would have thunk it? Thought it. Oh, you grammar teachers, you can correct me later. I won't listen. This is what a scripture says. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. There's not a lot of commentary there on John. But someone does lend some commentary on the life of John. I want to close with that. It's a man by the name of Jesus. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. He says this about, Jesus, about John. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But that's not where he stops. Get what he said there. Uh, Truly, I tell you, among those born of women. Do you see that? You hold on to that because we're not done. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why is that? Do you know why it is? And I'm not asking. That's rhetorical. Don't shout out. You know why it is? Because if you're in the kingdom of heaven, if you're amongst the kingdom, the least, you're born of the Spirit. (laughs) See what the difference was? John was born of a woman. Jesus is saying the least in the kingdom is greater than him. They're born of God. These are the very words that he says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So it is in verse 8, with everyone born of the Spirit. Spirit. (laughs) And I know what you're thinking, Trent. And I'm done. I'm actually done. I don't know what you're thinking. Man, you said we're getting in to chapter 2. That's what, the, that's what the picture said. Luke chapter 1, chapter 2. We haven't even got to Jesus. You cut us short on Christmas. You're a Grinch. You're a Christmas Grinch. You didn't even get to Jesus in chapter 2. I didn't get to Jesus in chapter 2. Verses 1 through 21. You know why? The messages are about Christmas beginning. It's incumbent upon you, and I give you this charge as my brothers and sisters in Jesus. Over the next day or so, man of God, woman of God, gather your family around you. Open up Luke chapter 2. Go to verse 1. And you read it. And you, if you must, if your heart is broken and you can't even hardly conjure up the strength to get the words out. I would encourage you, my sisters, to open up Luke chapter 2 and audibly speak it out loud and read those words of life and own them and take them into yourself and experience Christmas. The way Christmas should be experienced. In your own heart. In the lives of your own family. In your own home first. There is no more beautiful picture painted in all of the New Testament regarding marriage than one of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The scripture says both of them at different times in chapter 1 they were filled with the spirit. Did you know that? It says of both of them they were filled with the spirit. Do you know what else it says of them? Obviously. A deduction, you realize this? That they were connected on the purpose of God in their son's life. They had agreed. They were in lock and step. And listen, man, I'm telling you, there's no greater gift of Christmas for me as a fellow laborer with you here at the TDC. There's no greater gift of Christmas than to know a family is in lock and step. And the husband is on the same page as the wife. And the wife is on the same page as the husband. And the purpose of God revealed to both is carried equally and extended and lived out within the confines of their lives and their home and their children. Man, that's an awesome, awesome reality. In Jesus, that can be yours and mine, right? Yeah. So stand with me. I'm going to release you. I'm going to release you. You're going home. Christmas isn't over. It's still... You still got some time to get your shopping done. Husbands, you got time. The gift card stands are plentiful. Or at least they were today when I was buying mine. So... You have hope, right? But I say to you, take that time. Be encouraged in His Word and just cling to it. Read it for yourself. Read it for yourself. It's just one page over. Just pick up that thin page, Kevin. Just turn that thing over, man. And start reading it. It's beautiful. So Father, in Jesus' name. I say to my brothers and sisters, in the spirit, really in the spirit of Christmas, your spirit, your giving, your loving, I say to them, oh God, to take a hold, take hold, take hold. It's the only thing that can get us through. And so I bless my brothers and my sisters. They're an encouragement to me. May I be an encouragement to them. Father, may your spirit go with us as as it did in Zechariah's life from the temple to Nazareth with Mary. May, May you move with us in the same way. God with us, Emmanuel. The Christ candle we lit, Lord, to recognize that. May we not shorten the reach of your arm in our lives and say it's only at church can you do these things, but oh God, may we open ourselves up to you reaching into the real world of our lives. So I bless my brothers and sisters as we go forth tonight under the influence of your word and your spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things and the sons and daughters of God said amen. Amen. Merry Christmas.